I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Tonight we are going to look at Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 34 through 35. Just two verses tonight, Matthew 13, uh, beginning in verse 34. Before we hear God's word, if you would uh, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we come before you confessing our sins with contrite hearts. We ask, O oh God, that you would blot out our sins and cre- create in us something new, something better by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your word that comes forth from your servant. We pray, Father, that you would speak wisdom, your wisdom, into our hearts this evening as we hear from your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. Beloved, this is the word of God. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is the word of God. Matthew concludes this portion of Jesus' ministry by emphasizing once again the fact that Jesus initially spoke to the crowds, uh, or intentionally spoke to the crowds in parables. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. So Jesus then continued to teach to the Jewish crowds, but he purposefully put up a fence around his teaching. Instead of opening his mouth and teaching plainly, directly, when he opened his mouth to teach, a parable came out. And this happened at one point in his ministry, and this is where we are, and this is what Matthew is explaining here. We have seen that this method or form of teaching that Jesus began to use was a form of judgment against the unbelief of the majority of the Jews. For the most part, Christ's own people rejected him. They refused to believe in him. They rejected his leadership, his authority. And eventually they had him crucified. They were happy to receive healings for a while. They were interested in the teaching at first. It was new. It was powerful. They could recognize the wisdom in his teaching. And so they were entertained, I guess, for a time. But their hearts were far from him, so he sealed them off from receiving plain teaching anymore. He told parables instead. Verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, to them it has not been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. They see, they hear, but they do not understand. In essence, Jesus and John the Baptist before him proclaimed the arrival of Israel's king. He's here. This long-awaited Messiah, the Son of David, who was promised in your scriptures, is here in the flesh, standing before you. And with him, because he's here, the kingdom of heaven has come. It has been ushered into the history of this world. But the unbelieving Jews did not want their own king. They rebelled against him, and again, they would eventually have him crucified. They wanted to snuff him out. 
The good news on the other side of this, though, was that Jesus showed that not all the people's hearts were hardened. He said to his disciples, to you it has been given. That is, in accordance with God's eternal will, in accordance with his divine election, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world to understand and to know the secrets of the kingdom. To you, my chosen ones, the elect, my disciples, my children, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. The Father had revealed the truth concerning the kingdom to little children, his children, chosen from before the foundation of the world, for such was his gracious will. In accordance with the Father's gracious will, we have been made to know, that is us, believers, Christians, we have been made to know and understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, while the parables serve to further seal off the unbelieving Jews from the truth, they served at the same time to further illuminate aspects of the kingdom for those who had been given this great gift of understanding. And so, while during Jesus' ministry, these parables formed a fence around the truth to those who did not believe, for us, or for his disciples in his generation, and for us in every generation, these parables further illuminate certain aspects about the kingdom. They give us insight. They help us. They give us insight into what the kingdom of heaven is like, how we are to regard it, how we are to think about it. Matthew in this section shows that this choice by Jesus to begin speaking in parables, it was not arbitrary. It was not even reactive. It's not as though Jesus had a certain plan with, in his ministry uh, for the Jews and then in an emotional, on an emotional whim suddenly decided to speak in parables because he was frustrated. No, Matthew shows us that this was all planned before any of this ever took place. Matthew makes it clear here that Jesus' coming and even his chosen method of teaching were all fulfillments of old age prophecy. Verse 35. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. He then, he then goes on to quote a portion of Psalm 78. And so the prophet that Jesus speaks of here turns out to be a psalmist, a psalm writer. Now this is interesting to think about because what did the psalmist typically do? What do you find in the psalms when you read through the psalms? Or rather, how did the psalmists go about doing what they were doing in the power of the Spirit? How did they prophesy, as it were, in the Psalter? Well, they used poetry. They used songs, parable-like psalms to reveal divine truth. And so it wasn't entirely plain. It's poetry. These are songs written to reveal divine truth and, of course, written to do other things as well. For example, to express the emotional life of the psalm writer through the certain circumstances that he was going through, particularly intense suffering. But all in all, what we see in the Psalms is poetry, song. The truth revealed there is done through song. The truth that the psalmist laid down was truth that was immediately applicable to the generations of God's people that first heard them, 
but they were also poetic utterances that foretold future events. And so they served the people of God well when they were written at the time when they were used, but they also, in the power of the Spirit, these psalm writers prophesied about the future as well. And in particular, they prophesied about the future coming of Israel's Messiah. And so Christ's own people sang these songs about the coming of their king. They put these songs on their lips. And so they had no excuse not to recognize uh, their king. It was not a mere coincidence that Jesus puts the words of Psalm 22 on his mouth at the end of this gospel, at the end of Matthew. As he was dying on the cross, what did Jesus say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That psalm was written hundreds, even thousand years before Christ was ever crucified. He says those words. And to put it simply, every aspect of Christ's life and ministry, the timing of his incarnation in history, the events surrounding his birth, the rejection of his people, the betrayal of Judas, his death by crucifixion, his rising from the dead, his appearing to Mary Magdalene, then to his disciples, and then to many more, even down to the particular method of teaching that he chose to use, teaching in parables, all of it was determined and planned from eternity. It was not arbitrary. It was the Father's will. It was Christ's will. It was all down to the last detail planned. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. In the same way, friends, everything that happens in your life, everything you experience, from the moment you arrived in this world to the moment that you will leave, Everything in between, every detail, every amount of suffering, every amount of joy has been planned from the foundation of the world. Every one of your days has been written in God's book before you've ever lived them. And so we can trust in this God. We can trust in this Lord who has determined everything from the beginning. Nothing is a surprise to him. Now, we are surprised, of course, by many things, but we can trust in the one who is never surprised. The psalm quoted, Psalm 78, is attributed to Asaph, one of David's men. So these words were spoken around a thousand years before this time in Matthew. Asaph begins, Give ear, my people, in that psalm, give ear, my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. And here Jesus says it this way, hidden since the foundation of the world. And so Jesus is revealed here to be the supreme prophet. He places these words on his mouth. He is the ultimate prophet and he is the original prophet. He is the greater prophet and the original psalm writer. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The second thing is this. The psalm is that the psalm Asaph recounts in this psalm that Asaph wrote, and that is recounted here by Christ, what is written of in that psalm is the consistent rebellion of God's own people and the ways in which God disciplined his people because of that rebellion and ultimately the way in which God rejected them. That is what was spoken of in Psalm 78. 
God rejected Ephraim, a large portion of Ephraim, because of their rebellion. And instead, he chose David of the tribe of Judah. Psalm 78, 70, he chose David, his servant, to shepherd his people. Now this is significant because in David's day, when the psalm was written and sung, what did God do? He took an unexpected shepherd boy and made him king. He took the very last one that any, any one of God's people might have thought should have been king or would have been king, and he made him king. The youngest, the smallest, the unknown shepherd boy, he lifted him up out of the small tribe of Judah. And around his leadership, God built up Israel into a mighty kingdom. And so God took a remnant of the faithful, huddled around David, his chosen servant, his chosen shepherd king, and he caused them to grow into a glorious kingdom. In other words, he did it in a way no one would expect. At least no one thinking on worldly terms or with worldly wisdom would expect, which was a large portion of God's own people. I've rejected you, Ephraim. I'm going to Judah. I'm going to choose this unexpected boy and make him your leader. I'll show my glory through that. So he made a glorious kingdom around David, his king, while at the same time rejecting a large portion of Israel because of unbelief. Does that sound familiar? This is exactly what was happening in the days of Jesus when he began speaking in parables here. Jesus, Jesus is God's chosen servant. He is the greater David. He is David's son according to his human nature. We saw this back in chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he is also David's Lord, the son of God, according to his divine nature. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. If we take all of these things together, what was Jesus doing by teaching in parables? And what was Matthew confirming with his commentary here? Well, they, Matthew was confirming and what Jesus was doing in his parables was that Jesus is the supreme prophet. As this ultimate prophet, as the one and only divine prophet, Jesus was opening his mouth, speaking in parables. That's what prophets do. They open their mouths and they reveal the will of God for men unto their salvation. This is what Jesus was doing. He was opening his mouth, speaking in parables to unveil and uncover truth about the kingdom of heaven that had been previously hidden. And it had been hidden for a time. But now the treasure box is opened. Now the secrets are being revealed. And those who have eyes to see and ears to hear are learning, they're understanding. Now these lessons by way of parable about the kingdom of God, they were like an ancient treasure buried for generations. This ancient treasure that had been just recently found and dug up and opened. For those who had ears then, his disciples, the remnant of believers, for us who have ears, spiritual ears, living faith to hear, today we get to look into the treasure box. We get to look in and we get to see Christ is opening the treasure for us. Others don't understand. These parables go right over their heads. They are lost in confusion. But we, as those who have been chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world, we get to know. We get let in on the secret. 
we get to know and enjoy the glorious riches of divine wisdom. What we understand and praise God for is that being able to learn more about these once hidden mysteries only come, that only come through faith in Christ. That is how we learn. We are only able to understand these mysteries that have been hidden for so long through faith in Jesus Christ, the greater David, the greater shepherd king, the unexpected king, a crucified king. What kind of kingdom do you build around one who is cursed on a tree? What kind of kingdom do you build around one who is treated as the lowest, the lowliest of criminals? by the most powerful empire in the world. You don't build a kingdom around a king like that. A king naked and shamed on the cross. Do you see the parallels between Christ and David then? This is an unexpected way to build a kingdom, and yet this is what God has done. And it's only by rallying around him by faith and giving your life to him are we able to truly understand what it means to be part of Christ's kingdom? Now, this is something that the Jews in Jesus' day could not accept because of unbelief. And so, on the whole, God rejected Israel. He rejected Israel and instead formed a new Israel, a new kingdom, made up of a small remnant that were huddled around him, his disciples, and he brought the Gentiles in. Again, an unexpected turn of events. If you're thinking about it in worldly terms, you're going to give the kingdom to the Gentiles? Jesus says, yes. If you're going to reject me, I will reject you and I will give the kingdom to one you would not expect. Those pagan nations you looked down on for so long. That is what was happening here. And so in this way, Jesus gave the kingdom to the nations, to us, Gentiles, the unexpected ones. And this is who we are, friends. We are the weak. God chooses the weak to shame the strong. This is who we are. In the eyes of the world, we are those who are insignificant. We are unexpected. Not much can be made of something like this. And yet, this is what God does. He establishes an eternal kingdom through you and I, through unexpected weak individuals like ourselves. We have been made part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus continues to shepherd us. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He has saved us. He has made, part, he has made us part of his everlasting kingdom. And he continues to reveal the secrets of his kingdom to us through his teaching, namely through his teaching here by way of parables. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore.